With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues. Three opinions. One Everton Podcast. Welcome to episode 46 of the Unholy Trinity Podcast, where this week we're joined by an absolute legend of the game of rugby union and he needs no introduction but he's going to get one anyway 95 caps for his country of wales five caps and two tours with the british and irish lions went to three rugby world cups won three grand slams as well to boot and now the current scrum coach for harlequins and that's and, and maybe more importantly in our world an evertonian and that's adam jones adam thanks very much for coming on mate Oh no, thanks for having me. No, it's been uh, no, it's nice to do something uh, a bit different than these times. So yeah, thanks for thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, mate, great to have you, pal. Great to have you. So we we, we spoke briefly, sort of off there uh, before we started the, the call um, in regards to how things are going now. Because with you being in, in the world of sport and with you being out of your office, which is the the field of play, obviously, and coaching the players, what have you been up to, and how have you been filling your time whilst you you, you can't coach the players on the field? Um, I'm just trying to sort of, you know, upskill yourself, um, trying to, you know, reading, reading different books, reading about different coaches, um, you know, looking, there's a lot of Amer- good American football, basketball coaches out there who've, you know, put a book out. So there's, you know, there's a few of them being through a couple. As a, I've been advised by my head coach a while ago to read a book, a TED Talk book. I didn't know, I didn't know what a TED Talk book was, but I haven't even started yet, but I need to start it to improve my, um, you know, Group speaking, sort of speaking, get my point across, and um, you know, as we, I said offline, is oh, that you know, there's obviously issues with my accent, and in Southwest London, it's uh, you know, it can get a little bit muddled, muddled up, and um, so certainly learn how to speak more clear and slightly less quick, so slow everything down, you know, and um, yeah, so it's, it's you know, it's all it's ongoing, you know, as much as I um, you know. You know a lot about rugby, but um, you know, you kind of uh, there's always little bits of certainly around coaching that you can pick up, and uh, that's what I'm trying to do, trying to upskill myself really as much as I can. And we, as we we said earlier, as I say before, we started recording about with you working now in the current environment, but with you working in the in the Premier League of rugby, and with you having the the illustrious career that you that you had, as we mentioned before, you know, you you've had three Grand Slam wins with Wales. Um, you've you've represented the British and Irish Lions on two tours. Do you get that natural respect from the players that you work with on a daily basis, or is it something which you you've got to you've got to earn or day by day? Uh, yeah, I think you do get that natural respect. Certainly, um, you know, you you've obviously got that name. People know you. You played sort of Test match rugby for eleven years. You played a big game, so people know who you are. But on the other hand. If you're going in, sort of saying, you know, this is what you should do, this is what I used to do, you know, if you're in there with no, not an open mind, and and if you, you know, if you don't know, if you're talking uh, rubbish or and the boys don't, you know, respect what you're doing, whether it's just all, you know, you've got to be very open-minded. So it's it's kind of you have that respect, but then unless you back it up with your actions on the coaching field, and uh, you're gonna you're gonna struggle, I think. So. I think yeah, I think you bang on. I think. It's the same in any sport, isn't it? Just because you were a good player and you got to a high level doesn't necessarily yeah. transi- transition to being a good coach, does it? Do you know what no. I mean? You see so many, let's say, average players that go on to be top coaches and vice versa, don't you? Oh, yeah, massively. It's like, I think, um, 
I'd imagine you see a lot more in football. I think um, if I look, I don't know, obviously the you know, Mourinho, he kind of sticks out. He, you know, I think he was, you know, he, there was there's no sort of rock stars who seem to be man. You know, Guardiola, I guess, would be the exception. I guess Klopp yeah. played in the um, high level, but you know, some you don't you probably don't have the same in football. But rugby's um, it's very specialist these days. You know. Every part of the game seems to have, be having a coach. So you've got an attack coach, you've got a skills coach, you've got a line coach, you've got a breakdown coach, you've got a scrum coach, you've got a you know a head coach on top of that defence. So um, so you know there's a lot of different little you know I don't I don't know how it works in football. Is that is that the same? I don't know, but certainly in rugby it's, it's becoming very specialist, and you don't have just really you know a backs coach or forwards coach. You know, there's always little. There's little probably six or seven, probably six coaches on average now in each team. Really, if you which uh, certainly changed a lot since when I started. You just have two, really. So. Yeah, and throw in a psychologist as well. <laughs> yeah, psychologists, yeah. you know, fitness coaches, medical, yeah. you know, um, nutritionists. You know, it was uh, the bane of my life for eleven years. So, um, <laughs> we, even though you know our clubs, that's where the big. I see the big difference in like the off-field stuff in Quinns compared to like back in Wales. You know, we that's now we'd have six or seven coaches, six or seven, eight S and C, you know, a nutritionist, a off field guy, a HR, a head of recruitment. And you know, there's a lot of there's a lot more pumped into it, you know, off field from, you know, um in the premiership, I think, than it is, you know, back in Wales. But uh, you know, sometimes that's not it's not a great thing all the time, you know. Um, you know, certainly our results over the last couple of years haven't or the last four or five years haven't prove that's any better than like the Welsh teams but you know certainly it's a funny thing to see you know even Wales you'd have to be you know the line or forward strap their legs up so they can, can lift them easier in Wales I remember you know with the Ospreys we'd have a bag of you know old tape where you, you'd have to like see the tall boys scratching around to find something but up in England you just get in get a new roll of tape and done with it like so it's just uh, I don't know I just yeah. started ranting about that but it just got into my head that uh, it's a uh, it's, you know culturally it's a lot different uh, and that's taking something to get used to, I guess, as a, certainly yeah, as a coach. Do, do, do you think, Adam, that obviously you're talking there from, you know, you, you spent the majority of your career in Wales uh, playing professional rugby there, and obviously you moved late on to, to Harlequins. As time has gone on in rugby and since you've been involved in the game, obviously a lot of things have changed in regards to, like we just said, number of coaches and things like that. We, we regularly sort of compare the Premier League and football now to the Premier League as it was, or even you know the 1980s when Everton had the, the, the successful years and so on. Do you think the game has evolved for the better? Did you prefer the game when you first started out? What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it has. It has. In, I, I look. I watch games now from the 80s. If you have a season in the 80s and 90s, and even the beginning of the 2000 is it's such a different game. You know, the Evans. You know, Evans for start bigger, faster, stronger. You know, and probably more skillful, you know, the amount of time they spend in the skills, maybe, um, you know, there's an argument for that, but, you know, I just, I think it's a better, um, it's a better product now. It's, um, you know, it's kind of like, if you watch it in the 70s and 80s, it's kind of like, at times it'd be like watching like kids play, where they can, you know, all the forwards will go after the ball and, you know, there's, and they sprint around, but then, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's different now, it's the structure, the shape, you know, you've got, you know, you obviously football is you know, four four two, three five two, you know, uh, four four one, well, whatever. But it's last is kind of going in rugby. You know, it's kind of how you spread the forwards around the field. So, um, so you know, it's uh, certainly. I think I think it's um, it's definitely changed for the better. There's a lot of the old stuff which is good. You know, certainly when I started playing in Neath, you know, the, the social side was amazing. You know, the BM. <laughs> You know, be on the you have a good night out three or four times a week and play on a Saturday, and um, so it was you know that was great, and you know certainly around you know the physicality, as in you know what I, I don't mean like cheap shots, but I mean like you know there's a lot of there's a lot of times where you see boys now, you know that it's very I guess it's the same as football. You know, there's never there's never any punches anymore, is there? I'm not saying knock a door in violence, but you know, years ago, you weren't allowed to, you know, you could get away with it and, you know, settle it then. Or if someone was lying on the wrong side of the ruck, you know, you could trample on, you know, ruck him get him out of the way. And, you know, nine times out of ten, he wouldn't come back. So there's different little, um, it's changed as in, you can't sort of get, not that it was a dirty player or a fighter in the slightest, but, you know, you, you couldn't get a level of, uh, you know, 
you couldn't get your own back in a in a legal way or a physical way. Like um, well, like you can't you can't do that now compared to. He, you are right. It's a good comparison to make with footy there because football's almost gone like that as well, isn't it? You know, and going back to how the game's changed, if you look at I, where I look at it in fo- football, you could almost say Wenger was the catalyst, wasn't he? He brought over the dietitians. Yeah. Yeah. He stopped the, the players going out drinking, professionalising themselves. And obviously, look look at the success Arsenal had yeah, to yeah. him. And then obviously, it, it sort of almost changed everybody, didn't it? Yeah. Um, I'll be honest, it was taking, you know, it was probably. We are, everyone is professional now, but it took a long time to sort of still, certainly in Wales, we, if professionalism started in 96, there was still a big element, maybe going into sort of 2005, 2006, and so it still took 10, it was kind of the introduction of when Gat, Warren Gatlin came in, Steve Hansen, I guess, a little bit before him, so probably 2003, we started becoming really professional, and then it's taking time, but then it's, you know, everyone's, you know, as soon as that sort of era die out a little bit. You know, um, the boys who still played beginning of the 2000s, and then we, you know, and then you get a young group coming through who are just, just so professional, like your Sam Orbitons, these guys, you know, Lee Halfpenny, the, when, you, know, when you have to kind of raise your standard to them. Because I was still, you know, you'd have myself, Gethin Jenkins, who are a bit older, who still were very kind of stuck in our own school ways. We realised we had to raise our game, raise our sort of fitness and, you know, everything around rugby to get stay the same sort of level as these um, super athletes coming through the academy. So, Yeah, it's, it's like, like you say, it's, it's sort of sports in general has evolved over such a short, a short period of time. I, I saw some footage here last night of when Everton played Arsenal going back to the late, late 1990s and Don Hutchinson launched in. Absolutely, it was a shocking tackle, but it was, it was, it was play on, wasn't it? it wasn't even brought back. And then you, you think about it now and you you know, a lot of the time, if a player goes in sort of for a 50-50, the other player's rolling out on the floor before they've even got anywhere near them. The referee's pulling it back, free kick, whatever it might be. And th- these are the kind of things which I think when you do look back and when you look back at, you know, Everton's successful times in football in general through the 80s and, you know, early 90s, it, it does it does hurt a lot of people that it's, it's changed and not always for the better. But like you say, in terms of the professionalism side and that sports science elements and, being an athlete, that, that has changed for the better. Oh, massive. I think, uh, yeah, I know even, even around stuff like, like you said, um, with Don Richardson, like if now, if there's any contact to the head now in rugby, you know, it's a straight red these days, you know, if it's shoulder or arm, you know, it's, you're pretty much done now because it's such a massive thing on concussion, which, you know, you know, so many boys over the last you know, three or four years have had to retire and um, from concussions. And uh, so, yeah, like I think it's, you know, we are getting to a better level around that, and which is great. And you know, you don't you don't want to see you, as much as it's it's a nice collision, but you see someone sparked out on the floor, and it's you know generally sparked out. You know, and you know, so, so the the more we can do the deal with stuff like that, you know, straight red cards, you know, that type of thing. You know, then then we're not going to have um, as many sort of uh, brain injuries, which is uh, which is great for our sport. And um, you know, you will still smash someone, you know, without. You know, hit them in the head, you know, and you can still, you know, we've got 18 stone men running each other, there's going to be big collisions. And, um, but no, certainly rugby's gone, I think, to a good level on them, you know, and I'd embrace it really. I think everyone's realized that, you know, I know it's not the same as football with the VAR thing, but no one seems to like that, do they? Or... <laughs> not at all. No, it's, that, that, it's been, a, it's been a, a disaster, you know, the, the way obviously the season's gone anyway this season with obviously what's happening in the world and so on. I think I think VAR was a was a signal of how this season was going to be from from the outset. It's it just it stops the game so much, and you're sitting around and you're waiting, and you know the interpretation is is sort of still there, but they're interpreting things totally wrong. And when you haven't got the man on the on the field making a decision, yeah. I think is a bit of an issue because I, I I think back to rugby matches that I've watched, um, and it seems to work. I mean, the respect is there, and it's straight away for referees. You, yes. Only the captain speaks to the referee. Any, everyone else, go away. If he calls you over, then then he, you know, obviously you can speak to him and, and so on. But very much, you know, that's that's the person in charge. No, no, you sort, no, your role kind of thing. Uses the TMO and things like that, and it works. It works really well. But there's yeah. there's that air of authority and that air of respect. And football, whether it's ever had that, probably yeah. not. But in you know the the current climate, VAR has made that side even worse. And it's you know it, I mean Lee will tell you, you know some of the decisions this season that Everton 
have been on the end of have been absolutely yeah. horrific, you know. Um, so th- th- those kind of things aren't always. Will, will football ever reverse that then? Or I don't know. I think I think there's been that much money put into it that it's almost as if that they've got to keep on working at it and working at it until they prove themselves right, that they were right to bring it in. And I'm not averse to technology. Goal line technology is absolutely perfect. Yeah, yeah. It gives you an instant decision. The referee looks at his watch. It says goal. And and you know it's a goal, no arguments. And everyone accepts that. But VAR has got a long, long way to go for, for people, especially in the ground, to be accepting of, of, of the change, I think. Yeah, that's fine. Fair, I think they could learn a lot, couldn't they, from your game, Adam, from, from rugby, couldn't they? Because you've had it, obviously, for a while. Yeah. And the video replays for the guys in the stadium, from the TMO, so they can hear the referee for a start. Yeah. They can hear the, they can hear the conversation, so everybody's involved, and that's what VAR hasn't got, has it? It's more, yeah. Like, we, like I don't know, I have, I've only kind of read up about a little bit of VAR, but it's why I haven't watched that much football this year. But, yeah, you seem to, you know, <laughs> no one seems to be a big fan of it. It seems... You know, to pick up on everything rather. You know, I think I think the referees in rugby still have that kind of. You know, you hear certain refs. I think um, say Nigel Owens or someone or Wayne Barnes or one of the top refs. If mm-hmm. they, if there's someone in a year, you know, if they wanted the, the game to carry on, they'd still carry the game on and like either come back to it or just like sack it off altogether. Like, so it's not, you know, they kind of still have that more of a feel. Whereas I don't know whether is a VAR if, if the decision comes, everything has to stop. Is that true or? Yeah, it is in some ways, Mike, isn't it? It is. Yeah, they, they look they look at pretty much everything all the time, so to speak. But um, if it's, say, someone goes down the box straight away, VR looks at it, play, play can continue. But there is a lot of, when they do stop the game and say, for example, a team scores and are looking for an offside, the team then almost can't celebrate. The referee's like that right there. Yeah. He's like that. But it's not, not as if it's, say, 10 or 15 seconds. Sometimes we're talking three, four, five minutes to make a decision, and that's that's the thing. We we don't mind you taking ten or fifteen seconds to get it right, but yeah. when you're delaying the game for so long, it just it, it takes away from yeah. from the the fan experience. Is that it's probably the big thing. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a fair point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's, it's over officious is what it is, and then yeah. basically when you're analysing offsides by by somebody's toenail, and you know you've yeah. you've just seen like one of the best goals you've ever seen, and it's been disallowed, and the whole crack. It, they need to learn a lot from it. I, I'm glad you mentioned Nigel Owens because obviously, you know, whenever I've watched rugby, um, like Mike was saying, particularly the World Cups, and watched you and things like, you know, the famous semi-final against New Zealand. Uh, sorry, no, in New Zealand, sorry, against France. You talked about tackles. War- Warburton got done there, didn't he? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In in that yeah. game, like that would um, be, I think that would have been a definite red card. Now, yeah, I think it was that 11, 2011. So, yeah, yeah that was a big shot, really, because not. Like it wasn't particularly, it wasn't malicious. It was the fact the guy who was the winger came off the back of the line out. It was not a big bloke. He's a skinny little, he's quick, but he's, yeah. a, skinny, he's a skinny little French dude who, you know, <laughs> and he's a, you know, a big, incredibly powerful kid at the time. Yeah. He was really young. But um, yeah, and maybe like now, yeah, it was a red card, but then it was just like a bit of a shock, really. Yeah, it was a shocking decision. But I think there is, Mike said about respect, and I think there is that. In rugby, I don't know where that comes from. I mean, you correct me, Adam. You've played since you were a kid. Is that come from like from a young age where you're taught to really respect the referee? Because in football, yeah. obviously, there's a lot of bad language with the ref, and that's one of the reasons why they won't mic the refs up because the language the players in the Premier League would give the referee yeah. and all that. Do you know what I mean? No, it's, it's very much from um, a young age. Just the, I guess, as as kids, you always sir. Yeah. Um, or you know, ref or nothing, nothing, no swear words in anyway. Um, no, certainly, sir. I we I've always called a ref, sir. You know, it's mm. not um, you know, it's not something you were like, like coached or told to do. It's kind of just something that kind of uh, happens, you know, uh, naturally, really. And um, you just got you just um, the I remember refing kit games when I, I probably I reckon it was probably about nineteen twenty, and I'd ref third and the thirteens, fourteens games in my local club. The hardest thing, the players are amazing. But it's the, it's the parents are age. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> so like, I don't need this anymore. But then if I like, see, I've like, yeah, enough, enough of that. The players are always good as gold, you know. And um, and I, I, you know, as much as, you know, football, you know, it's the, it's the big sport. But, you know, it hasn't, that kind of hasn't creeped into rugby. You know, maybe a few, a few, a few I think someone criticised um, a certain national team who play in white. 
in the Six Nations um, for the way they uh, speak the rest. But um, <laughs> I don't, but I, I, you know, I don't, I don't think it, it's nothing like you know. They, you'd never call a ref. You'd never swear to a ref. You'd never um, <clears throat> like Dylan Hartley. Got, Dylan Hartley missed on the lines during 2013 because he called Wayne Barnes a cheat, and Wayne Barnes sent him off straight away in, in the you know in the cup final. So. Um, Right, right. You know, zero tolerance around it. So, um, you know, I don't know whether I'm sure I'm sure that's been a discussion in football, but whether that'll ever happen, I don't know. But uh, zero tolerance. You can't you say anything bad to the ref. You know, you're, you're done. So. You, you mentioned there, Adam, about obviously uh, England and and what have you in the Six Nations, and just sort of touching on the when you join up with the Lions. What's what's it like when you've got obviously all these nations coming together as one? to play as a unificate team? Because obviously you say you play in the Six Nations every single year and that rivalry between those nations is there. Um, you know, you, you see the, the emotion uh, when the players land up for the national anthems and, you know, we compare that to, to say, football where half the team sort of miles it and half them don't, don't sort of sing at all. And, you know, that, that rivalry is intense in rugby, it seems. And what's it like when you when you get sort of pushed together as one team? Is there... Any kind of little pockets of people going off is the, is the fractions within the camp. Um, well, I was the, the two I went on. I was lucky. Um, in two thousand five, by all accounts, it was I didn't go. Um, it's in New Zealand. It was a tough tour to go on. Obviously, the, the rugby is really hard, and um, but you know it was it was quite clicky. They almost picked two sides straight away and kind of split them. And um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't go on that. So, but the ones I went on were amazing. You know, so, um, you very much. You've obviously got you've obviously got preconceived ideas about everything, you know. Certainly around the you know the um, the English players as well. You know, um, being Welsh, you've got you know you you kind of brought up to um, you know not like them. <laughs> uh, but um, no, nah, look, I was Andrew Sheridan, who was the big prop, played for Sale to Toulon. We played against each other a lot of times, and you know, there's always a bit of um, you know a bit of scuffling, a bit of head you know head to head that type of stuff. You know, it was always a tough game, you know, but, um, you know, I didn't particularly know him, didn't, you know, I didn't have any idea, but I didn't like him really, so I was a bit of a dick, but as soon as um, I found out I was sharing a room with him and I sit down in the bed, I was, hey, mate, say, say hellos and find out his, his wife's Welsh and, you know, he's turns out to be literally the nicest bloke in the world, you know, we're friends and, um, you know, shared a bond, you know, we shared a room together for a week and, uh, you know, any kind of ideas you have with him. You, you've got to go in there with an open mind. You can't go in there thinking, you know, I'm not going to like anyone. You've, you, you've got to go in there with open mind and, you know, and take everything for it. It's totally different cultures. You know, it's um, from, you know, the private schools of like England, Scotland, North, uh, sort of uh, Dublin. Then you've got the, the farm boys of Munster, <coughs> the sort of um, the Welsh and they're kind of um, different upbringing. And then you get a spat of the English boys who aren't from private schools. So it's, uh, you know, it's a great... Um, it's a great mix. You just um, you know, my favorite thing was we we had a dinner on the Wednesday in London before we went to South Africa in '09. Oh, sorry, the Tuesday night. We're supposed to go on a um, what's called it like an America's Cup team building day the next day after, and I was just like, oh, fuck, no one could be asked to go. We paid like <laughs> they paid us like thirty grand to go in there and then HSBC. We had a phone call. We go back to the hotel. Uh, everyone had a phone call to the room. Everyone's got to be in the bar by 10 o'clock. Basically, lock the doors. Right, you're not leaving. Tomorrow's cancelled. Just get on it tonight. And uh, <laughs> you know, and it, um, it was the best thing we did because everyone, from then on, everyone's best mates. You know, you had stories straight away, you know, about, you know, oh, you did it. Someone was hammered before they should have been hammered and someone was wrestling on the floor or whatever. And it was like, no, it was the best. Um, <laughs> It was the best sort of team building exercise you know, we did, and you know we didn't win it, but we you know we came pretty close to beating them really. But it was a great. You know, I've, I really enjoyed both tours. It was, you know, second one was you know Australia, great country. You know, no one knows you. You know, the the, the most secure. I was so excited. I was funny. I was walking from Sydney Harbour, from a HSBC thing, just by um, what was it called, Sydney Opera House. I was walking around there, and coming down the hill was Tim Cale, obviously. Everton legend. <laughs> I, it's probably the first time, not the first time, but I was starstruck. He was walk, he was walking down with a couple of the um, guys, and we were in the Lions kits, so, and I was like, I could see him coming, <laughs> like a little kid. Oh, I was, oh my, I was shaking. I was like, to the couple of the other boys, that's, that's Tim Cale. That's Tim Cale. 
And they were like, didn't have a clue who he was. And I was like, anyway. So, I, yeah, I kind of, he was coming down and I managed to, like, um, yeah, build up the courage, go and ask him for a photo then. And, uh, yeah, so he asked me for a photo. And then, we, yeah, we swapped jerseys then in, um, in the hotel. They were staying in the same hotel with us, the Australian right. football team. So I swapped jerseys. He didn't give me an Australian. I mean, he gave me a, was he playing for the Red Bull or something? Yeah, New York Red Bull, yeah, wasn't it? Swap, yeah. Swap jerseys. I gave him my Lions jersey, which probably fit him. <laughs> and I had this jersey about that thing, so yeah, I haven't, uh, I've never worn it. I might give my daughter, <laughs> yeah. I honestly, I was so excited to see him, I was properly starstruck. And he's a legend over there, and he, he you know, he, oh, let, let's be fair, I mean, you know, he, he did well for us, but for Australia, he was an absolute hero winning the World Cups and stuff. Well, he was, he was over everything. They were, I think, it was um, a sort of playoff to get in the World Cup, yeah. So we, we were, we were over there in the Lions. And, you had the cricket was bigger, the Aussie rules was bigger, the soccer was mm. bigger. We were kind of the fifth sort of um, sport, wow. popular wow. sport at the time. And uh, it was only the fact there was like 70,000 Lions fans going out there. It was, you probably noticed anything, but yeah, he was, he was plastered everywhere, billboards, you know, and um, oh, he was a proper rock star out there. That's yeah, a great fella as well. Great guy. Great he, guy. He, he, I was so nice. It was, I, was, I was mega. And he was so, you know, you see this big fat curly guy just like, Shaking, wanted to give him a hug, like, and he was just like, <laughs> Tim Kale's one of those players, isn't he? I mean, I, I think back and growing up, you know, Tim Kale arrived when I was, say, early, early 20s, for example. Um, and he was a player, came from sort of total obscurity in a way, and, and Millwall yeah. took a punt on him. And then obviously, David Moyes, as he did so often for Everton, brought in a player from a lower division. and uh, instant, instant hero, instant success, and he was he was the I think everything that sort of epitomised the club yeah. through the David Moyes era. He was someone who played with his heart on his sleeve, someone who would leave it all out there. He's a player that you want on your team and not playing against you. Yeah. And and you know that's that that for me is is uh, you know real real fond memories of a of an Everton Everton icon in, in Tim Kerr. Like Lee, like Lee said, he you know a, a cracking fella to boost as well. Which like I could like go over like he's, he's Renowned as a good header, wasn't he? Yeah, mm. yeah, he, it was. He's tiny. Yeah, yeah. so small. <laughs> he must jump hell of, hell of a long way in there to head the ball because he used to have a great. He had a great spring, didn't he? And he used yeah. to he used, to, he used to hang, he used to hang in the air, but he'd always get that that jump on the centre half. So he could be say five or six inches smaller, but he'd be up before them and hang. Yeah. He was an incredible, incredible player. It's, just talent. It's, it's timing and talent, isn't it? It's the ability to time and leap and and to be fair to him, I mean. I mean, you'll know, Ad, you'll have played with players, but with someone like Tim, where you wouldn't say they're maybe as naturally gifted as others, he absolutely maximised his talent, didn't he? Do you know what I mean? He had the attitude to maximise everything. Do you know what I mean? He's obviously a good player, but yeah, the work, it's that work ethic, you know, and um, yeah. I just imagine he'd be the guy, you know, first on and last off the training field, you know, as they, you always hear about stories about these, you know, the top players like Beckham, Lampard, these guys, don't even imagine Kale being that type of uh, yeah, and you can't really teach that, can you? That's either in it, in you or not. Yeah, exactly. Now, we, we, we touched on um, already in regards to your, your successes and obviously playing for Wales and playing for, playing for the Lions and so on. And, and one thing I want to mention is, obviously, Everton have brought in recently um, Carlo Ancelotti, who's someone who is a, a world-class manager, someone that we've been striving to, to get into the club when we've got money. Um, so it's obviously improve the players you've got, but also bring in a few a few stars as well. Now we in, in the world of rugby, obviously you mentioned there Warren Gatland and from the outside looking in, you know, he's he's a face that I would always know from from rugby union. I'm sure I'm sure he's the same. And yeah. you, you work with him for for a number of years and I, and I know obviously things turned a little bit sour at, at the end. But if we can make a sort of comparison, is is he is he a world class coach, Warren Gatland? Is, is he someone who gets the best out of players, you know, in, in comparison, say, you know, to, to a Carlo Ancelotti. Is he a Carlo Ancelotti of rugby, so to speak? I think I think with Gats is he's probably coaching wise now, he probably doesn't coach as much. But then obviously he had that like he started in um the early nineties out in Ireland and so he's obviously doing a lot of coaching, coached Ireland well. So he's 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 done those but now he's more of like a DOI, you know, director of rugby and what he is good at is um Certainly with the Lions getting boys to play together, the simple game plan. Because you can't kind of reinvent the wheel with the Lions. You wouldn't go straight that much time, not a time, and, and internationally, really. 
<coughs> he's very good. He's very good man. You know, well, until he dropped me, he was a very good man. Man, <laughs> was, uh, you know, he knew what you knew early doors. What made you tick? You know, um, it was mine was around just being fit. You know, being you know working hard. Something that you know I embraced. Give me a target. You know, wanted me in a certain weight. You know, and that was something. You know, that was something resonated with me. If I'm not if I'm not that weight, you know, you're not going to play. So you know, is that something you know kept me working? I wanted to play for Wales. You know, we, you know, we push other people's buttons. You know, we push. He'd wind something. Say Mike Phillips, who was just come off. You know, six foot three is just come off big, like so, like ridiculously aggressive. You know, West Wales farmer. Just he knew how to push him. He you know wind him up about the opposition scrum half. You know, and you know, and he and he knew really he knew how to get the best of the boys that way. So you know, as in a coach, he probably doesn't coach as much as he. He's the more of the head coach, so he's now. I don't know what Ancelotti does it. Well, you know who what how much coaching he would do, but certainly as a he's got that. Gats has got that. I guess again, like in that aura around him now, where you know he always keeps on the toes. You know he's always he's always into everyone. He's always and the boys know. You know the boys would have known he's there. You know even if he's not saying it, it's you always want to impress him. Because he's that name, because he's that he's got a reputation. You know, Heineken kept Grand Slams, Lions. You know, you know, and then the younger boys coming through always, uh, you know, want to impress him as well. So you know, again, I don't know what it's like around Slotty, but I guess having you know, being you know what he's done in football, I'd imagine the you know, Everton, the whole sort of um, setup wants to impress him and uh, you know get on his good side and play, and you know, that'll no doubt make them better. I think, that, I think that's a sign of a top, a top, a top manager, a top coach, wherever you want to call them. I think the ability to get on that player's wavelength, isn't it? Yeah. Trying to get what are their triggers that are going to get the maximum out of this player. And you know, I'm a Welsh fan. I grew up in North Wales, you know, and that's, that's all my all my family of blues in terms of Everton. Where I grew up in in, in Prestatyn, it was more of a football culture. Yeah, you're only you're not you're down the road. You're in George North Country, aren't you? You know yeah. what I mean? And, and that's obviously big big rug, big rugby area. But um, you've got to give Gats, I think, massive credit. Because when he came in after Hansen, I think he revolutionised that Welsh team, didn't he? You know, and they yeah. had that success uh, you know, during your period, really. Like we, well, it was um, sort of like Graham Henry came in sort of 98. They had a good yeah. year or so. And then Steve Hansen came in. Didn't, have, didn't do, you know, win much or anything, but kind of put the building blocks in place for like professionalism, you know, when... Um, you know the regions came in, and um, then we won the Grand Slam with Mike Reddick. He got sacked. Shocking World Cup in 07 with Arthur Jenkins. Then Gats came in, and he was not honestly. He was like, he realised I think that you know these boys need to be told to work hard. They will work hard, but they just need to be constantly um, you know on top of. You know, simplified everything down. Sean Edwards came in, who was um, you know, it was almost like you said about earlier being a coach. He had the because he was Sean Edwards. Mm. You were like shit. This is you know, you know. You, I, I grew up watching him you know, winning every trophy for Wigan. You know, scoring all these tries. Um, it was almost like you know he sat in the room, basically told us there'd always been a funny um, a bit of how we wanted to defend. You know, there was the blitz was popular at the time, but you know some of the senior boys didn't want to defend like that. And Sean came in and said, "This is what we're doing. We're going to blitz. If you don't want to blitz." There's the door, off you go, something. And straight away, um, laid it down. Obviously, it was him as well, so everyone's like, okay, no problem. You know, he's got that reputation. And, um, yeah, it just it just became, got his whole mantra about working harder, you know, just the other teams aren't working as hard as you, you know. Um, and it's, it's very simple, you know, we just, Jamie Roberts or Gavin Ensor, you know, we get around the corner, physical, play, you know, play uh, confrontational rugby and get off the line defence and, uh it was it was that simple, you know. It was that simple. It was that we, you know, and and it worked. You know, we got fitter, we got bigger. You know, we had that sort of period, two thousand eight, two thousand and thirteen. You know, we won three championships, two Grand Slams, World Cup semi final. You know, shared loads of plays in the Lions, and you know, it wasn't reinventing the wheel. It wasn't. Um, there was no sort of uh, you know structure like there is now. We're on with the forwards. It was just like just just work hard, work hard for each other. You know. Train, train hard, you know, and, and get, you get rewarded. He was, he, was tell, he was a couple of times he said to me and Gethin Jenkins, I don't worry about training this afternoon, you get yourselves home. Because, you know, we're a bit older and he kind of um, he kind of wanted to look after you on that. And um, 
as long as you play your part and don't take the best, then he was a, you know, he'd look after the boys. Yeah, I think obviously in terms of Carlo, what what we what we've noticed and the, the noises coming from the Everton camp since he's come in is that that work ethic in terms of what what you're getting from the players. You know, you you seen your, your Dominic Calvert Lewin, who obviously big dunk uh, arm around the shoulder when when he took over for a few games and said to Calvert Lewin, you know, you're only number nine, you'll be starting a game, I want you to be scoring goals. Carlo's coming and said to Calvert Lewin, you, you're spending much time out wide. Get yourself in the middle. That's what that's what you should be doing. And yeah. a lot of you know he, he's he's got some experienced players in there, like if you Leighton Baines, who looks is as good as ever, you know. And and Carlo's one of those managers who who likes to have that experience. You look at the side he's had with Milan and things like that. That experience in the side, and it's it's known, like you say, with with obviously uh, with with Gatland and Ancelotti, it's knowing your team and and having that that man management aspect and you don't see every single player the same because everyone's totally different so like you said you know he sends you home early on a particular day because of your age and so on whereas other players wouldn't be getting sent home because they've got work to do and what have you and that's that, that's really key and that's what I'm I'm yeah. noticing with, with, with Carlo you know that's key I think that you do have to treat people different I think um, you know it's not you know especially where, well on football it's all different positions all different like skill sets it's all different um so you certain personalities and, you know, you don't, you know, you obviously don't want to send them home and they'll be, um, you know, down the pub or whatever. But, you know, certainly you've got to, um, it's got to be that element of trust in there. And uh, I think, yeah, I think that's what makes them good. They realise, you know, they realise how to manage these players. And, uh, you know, as you said, you wouldn't have had the success, you know, in Italy. And obviously Kevin Evans amazing if he wasn't a good manager. Sometimes there's beauty and simplicity in sport, isn't there? You know what I mean? And getting that message across, getting that message across that, that, that you just mentioned with Carlo there, mate. You know, he, he did tell Carlo Lewin, look, you're running the channels, mate. You need yeah. to be in the box. That's where you're going to score your goals. You know, that's just a simple message. But he would have seen that just within five minutes of watching the game before he took charge, wouldn't he? You know what I mean? Yeah. And and that's that's something that a top coach will, will will pick up all day long. I mean. I'm glad you mentioned Sean Edwards. I've, I've got some note. He's supposed to be a, a bit of a character as well, isn't he? In the ad, is, is he? Obviously, what, let's be honest. Now he's gone to France. Wales has lost France's game there because he's obviously oh. probably the best defensive coach in the world now, isn't he? Um, yeah, I think so. I think he's um, well. Even these the changes he's made in France straight away. It's, it's very similar. You yeah. see the parallels with when he came to Wales. Oh, he's, he's good, Sean. He's good fun. He's um, I, I always go really well with him. He wasn't that hard on me because he never played in the front row, so he doesn't you know how to experience the sort of coming up from the pressure and the scrum, and then I'm the defence. So he's always kind of like he used to look after me a bit, so. <clears throat> and the blow a bit of smoke up my ass if I ever did it, if I ever made a tackle, which was, was very rare. But um, <laughs> no, he was, he was, he, when he first came in, he was just you'd see him in um, sort of Vale Morgan Hotel. He's got a ledger centre next to it, and you could go in there train, and he'd be in there like. Like blown, uh, black school shoes, black tracks with bottoms, white vest on, you know, shadow boxing, you know, with the mirrors, and there'd be ladies like on, um, you know, the treadmills and uh, doing the sit up machines. And Sean's there, you know, practice a shadow box and in his white, uh, white vest, you know, the man from is it Onslow from uh, keeping up appearances, though, and uh, that's been vested. So no, he's, no, he's a character, and he'd come in, and after dinner, some dinners, he'd come and sit with a, a group of players who would drink. Just you know, he didn't want to sit in the coach's table. He came and drink with us, and uh, no, he's he's uh, no, he's good fun, Sean. That's it. Yeah, and like you said, he was a top, he was a top player. I heard, I think it was uh, was it was it? Uh, I can't remember which player who told the story about him. Something like when he used to get everyone riled up. You play in England, obviously he's English. Yeah, know, proud stalwart English guy. And then he'd be like, literally, you know, effing and jeffing and trying to get you wound up, saying how much he hated England. And he's got like, hasn't he got like a British? Lying on his on his wrist or something. Like yeah, that. I mean, he's he's, <laughs> that's he's funny. He, he, that's the good thing about him. He kind of um, you know he he wants to. He's English, obviously, but yeah, it's almost so. I reckon because we because he's north and he's yeah. so far removed from the uh, what would you call it? You know, the private school. Um, yeah, mentality. Eton boy, Eton boy, the south, the south of uh, yeah. South England, you know, and. Um, or the rugby union hotbed then really I guess it's sort of like like we got Sean Long coaching with us now who's literally you know St. Helens a uh, legend yeah. he's very similar to Sean absolutely barking 
Sorry, it's so di- it's so different to like the boys, uh, you know, the traditional English rugby union. So I think that's where Sean probably saw, you know, he still he probably and England, I think, as well with him, shafted him a few times where, you know, he they didn't actually get him for a job. So um, no, I think he enjoyed beating them more than we did. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny, and, and I've, I've got I've got to ask Adam. You know, obviously you 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 rugby rugby player, rugby legend. You know and. The, the question is, where, where does the link to Everton come in with, with all this? Because you say you grew up as, as an Everton fan. And what, what we find, obviously, Lee's from North Wales, and we've had a lot of you know, top, top quality Welsh players, obviously Neville Southall being one, Kevin Radcliffe and so on, playing for the club. But, but sort of South Wales, normally, you don't really see that link to, to Everton. No, mine's a bit weird. <laughs> so my, I had an older cousin called Stephen, who was a big Everton fan. Uh, so this would have probably been, I reckon, I was probably maybe seven or eight, something like that. So, and he was a bit older than me, and he was like a good rugby player, and he was, you know, quite, you know, sort of a good dude. He was quite cool and quite popular, and everyone liked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was an Everton fan. And then one day, my old man comes back from um, his, well, he was his nephew, he came back from the house, and he'd had, um, he'd give me his Everton bed sheets. So, you know, blue and white, you know, all that. Obviously, obviously, we washed them, but um, and I put them in my bed, and then he was an Everton fan. I looked up to him. I was that made me an Everton fan. He gave me his bed sheets, so so that's straight on my bed, and and that's and, that, and obviously during the time we we were good, you know, we had been a good, and then it was Neville Southall was obviously Welsh, like in Kevin Ratcliffe, you know, those, those are two who sort of stuck in my mind were Welsh and. Um, yeah, and ever since then, I was, uh, you know, diehard. I don't know, I wasn't diehard like you guys, but you know, um, you know, I was, I was, I was an Everton fan, and uh, it was a bit of a, bit of a strange run when, um, yeah, it all came down from a set of bedsheets, really. That's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing when you think about it, isn't it? That, that yeah. tenuous link, like that. Yeah. When you're young, when you're young, you're impressionable, and you look up to like, you know, yeah. you had older brothers, cousins, you know, whatever, don't you? Do you know what I mean? Exactly. So, um, you know, <laughs> it was really strange, but. Yeah, and they kind of, you know, obviously grew up. Um, Big Nev was, uh, you know, amazing, and um, I think I, 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 earliest probably was the when we lost three two in the cup final. That's the kind of so it would have been I guess about eight then in eighty nine. McCall the two goals. That was the first. That was the first you know memory, and I remember watching on the, you know in the afternoon and being gutted that we lost it, and um, so that yeah. And, yeah, but as I said, we you know we have done a good side at the time, and um, not not enough now. But you know they were, you know one of the best. They were top were, side. They were top side. Then exactly. Right? So it's uh, you know it makes it a bit easier, doesn't it? And a lot of people, I've, I've someone's asked me the question a few times. Obviously, Swansea have come up now, you know. And why why didn't you support why didn't you support Swansea? And I was a bit like, well, I never supported them as a kid because they weren't very good, you know. And I never so I never really um, obviously early eighties they did pretty well on that, but. Um, when I was growing up, I was never a massive fan, so I never really. Although we shared the stadium with them for ten years with the Ospreys, so we got to know them, got to know the mm-hmm. boys, and they were, you know, like Brendan Rogers and Martinez, and there was a. So it was, um, you know, it was good to like share that with them. I was never really, never thought I could leave Everton to go and support Swansea because I'd feel a bit, um, you know, a bit of a glory. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't. You can't change allegiances, can you? <laughs> no, it was good then. No, they're good. But it was great. It was funny. I used to love watching that because again, we trained in a. In a gym with them and you know obviously we'd be a lot stronger and they would have is it Bayo Aquafenra? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd be the one Swans boy that time, you know, being able to lift the same sort of stuff as the Welsh boys and uh and then you can see as the, the more the, the higher they got on the level, you know, the cars and the car park were still improving. <laughs> <laughs> so that like when we first started training with them, um I say training was same you, you had Lee Trundle, who Lee Trundle was the he had the like the flashes car, which is convert, was a convertible Saab, and that was the flashes car in the car park. And then all of a sudden, the Mercs come in, and when they get the Premiership, they're getting you know, again, the cars wrapped, and there's Bentleys, and there's all sorts in there. And there's, there's even a guy in the car park, you know, doing stuff to the cars. So it was, it was, it was funny to see like the, as the money grew and how they went, the cars just it was, everyone, all the rugby players had the same cars, you know, but um. Yeah, the football, the footballers just went a different level, you know. Do you get to uh, do you get to go to some much, Adam? When's the last time you got to you got yeah, to a game? 
ever been. No? No, it's not. Um, it doesn't really work <laughs> with that. <laughs> of course, yeah. Uh, I, in all honesty, if, um, I went there. Neville South had invited me once, actually. <laughs> but it was like, again, it was, I couldn't. Uh, we had games and stuff. So, uh, no, I'd love to. I'd love to go. I'd love, um, you know, I don't. Um, that's the one thing I'm missing, you know. So I'd, I'd love to go to Goodison for a game. And uh, it's just, um, it's just unfortunately, rugby and football <laughs> playing the same days, mainly. That's yeah. it. And it, it's probably more important now than ever with obviously Bramley Moore on the horizon, you know, looking a few years time moving from Goodison Park and Goodison Park will, will be no more as much as we obviously we're going to leave our, our footprints on the local community. But it, that's something. And we, we will, we'll, we will sort out for you before it goes. We will sort out a game for you. Yeah, to mate, we'll get you down, mate. We'll get you down there and, and try and, and try and sort that out. But you mentioned, you mentioned Roberto Martinez there and I'll, now Roberto obviously came to Everton later on in his uh, in his career, and we had a you know exceptional first season. You know our, our highest ever points total in the Premier League. Played some excellent yeah. football with with many many youngsters, and it, it turned sour uh, a little bit after that. What what was what was Roberto like in the dealings you had with him when you when you were training with the Swansea lads? Um, well, he was quite. He was like he, like the older head of them. He was like a he was probably one of the first like um, Spanish boys they brought over. But he was like you could see he was the old head, they all respected him. He was um he was you know a good bloke, pretty quiet, you know, he didn't didn't mix with the rugby boys too much really. You know, you'd see him you'd see them every now and again and night out and stuff. And um yeah, he was uh nah, he was a he was a he was a good he was a good fellow. He was, he was obviously a good player when he was um first came over to Swansea. But then when he was I know the one I did love, I think he might I'm sure he did come to Everton with him, was his goalkeeping coach. Oh yeah, he was off his head, wasn't he? That fella. He was, oh, he was one of the nicest blokes I've ever met in my life. He, <laughs> we used to have an indoor arena and they were training. So we had the goalkeepers and they were blindfolded. So three young, uh, three goalkeepers. And um, it would have been, I don't know if it was Vorm at the time, but it was uh, whoever the goalkeeper was before him. And I think it was Vorm, wasn't it? I think it might have been, yeah. And he had them blindfolded and he was kicking the ball, like just tapping around the arena and they had to go and find it. Uh, <laughs> this black glass wall there. These three, these three goalkeepers and the goalkeeper coach. And you're just kicking the ball around. It was like, and they'd have to kind of like scrabble around <laughs> to find the ball. It was the most bizarre training I've ever seen. It was, but he was a legend. He was uh, such a good bloke. In Yaki in Bagara. That's him, yes. That was, that was his name. Yeah, yeah. that was him, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you just Googled that. No, I'm talking to my head. It just took about, about five minutes to get there. <laughs> yeah, he was always, he, he was always used to wear a calf, didn't he? He was always yeah. wearing a calf. We were brought to us. They were. Um, they were, you know, some, you know, even like seeing someone like Leon Britton, yeah, who was there when we first started training, and then seeing him playing the Premiership, and you know, it was chat about him being, um, you know, one of the best passes ball in, you know, in Europe or whatever. And he was, uh, no, it's great to see, um, yeah, they're good boys actually. Yeah, Martinez. Let's be fair. I mean, touch on that. He did a great job with them, didn't he? He, he was, he was a big part of getting them where they were up to. Yeah. Um, Professionalism, yeah. everything around, yeah. Yeah. It was, um, he was, and then did Brad Rogers come in after? I think, was he after him? Or, yeah, think. he did. He yeah. did have to come yeah. after, yeah. Yeah, so he's, um, no, nah, they've been quite lucky, you know, they've, uh, they've, not lucky, but they've had some good, uh, but Martinez was, Matt, yeah, he's, he was almost like him and Trundle were the two people, you know, the whole, the whole city knew, and they were kind of the faces of it, and, uh, yeah, he was, I guess he was getting on a bit at the time, but then when he was managing, he was a uh, you know he's a bit of a he's a bit of a legend around town. Have you have you come across any uh, rugby players who are decent footballers, Adam, in your over your time that you can think of? Um, like decent as in they you know they look okay in a, t- in a rugby team. Y- yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing to hold their own in uh, any football. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think uh, Danny Kerr. Yeah, right. I, I think was on Sheffield Wednesday's books the same time as Jamie Vardy. Oh, right. right, okay. He was, he was okay. Um, yeah. Can, can imagine Shane, was, Shane, was Shane any good? Shane, Shane must have been quite good. He was rapid, wasn't he? Yeah. He was good compared to the rest of us, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He, he's one of those annoying ones. He's good at anything he does now. So he's, uh, don't want to give him too much credit. But he's, um, <laughs> no, he's, there's a few boys, you know, they ever. I would say the majority of rugby players think they can play football. <laughs> it's not, you know, whether they come or not, this, uh, 
yeah, we we and a couple of years ago when I first got the Queens, we'd go on a Monday night to one of those little five-a-side football things where there's hundreds yeah, yeah. of people, and yeah, we weren't particularly skillful, but it was about you know, I'd say physical. Yeah, I was going to say I bet there were a few tackles, weren't there? Yeah, it was, a, it was quite physical, and obviously with no refs, there's kind of a, you kind of got away with a bit more than you should have. But but you, I, you I'd remember we'd always play a couple of teams, and they'd have a couple of good players. And the standard is just like, you yeah, know, no, athlete. you notice it. Yeah, even even in that little space, they just look like in a different level. It's just, they'd obviously play to a, you know, play a bit of football, and uh, yeah, it just you just couldn't even get near them. The ball would be gone by the time you try to hack them, and you just couldn't. <laughs> <coughs> what about you know? The, what are the goal kickers? So obviously, it's a, you know the guys. Um, obviously, that's the big part of the game in terms of the, you know kicking the kicking the goals. But I mean. Um, do they tend to fancy themselves as footballers? Because obviously the technique's quite similar, isn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think they, they'd, be the, they'd be the better ones, I'd imagine. I think the, yeah. the boys who have to kick the ball. Um, they, like, I think Dan Bigger was a decent player. Uh, yeah. Dan, the, the ridiculous thing is, all right, we play... Oh, was, this was years ago, but you remember this uh, soccer um, crossbar challenge? Oh, yes. That yeah, came yeah, down yeah, to yeah. Wales once. And right. no, no, one, no one got near it. And the only one it did was um, Luke Chargers. Who was a big six foot nine, twenty stone second row? Who <laughs> was like the worst kicker you could possibly imagine, and he's the only one who actually, who actually hit the crossbar. So um, yeah, we all the sort of boys you'd fancy the chances were shocking, but he was the he swung his size thirty in it and, <laughs> and hit the match. Yeah. Well, no, it's interesting though. It, it, no, I can't think of anyone who actually <laughs> get to a decent. Uh, well, so kick, actually, you know, kicking the game in the game, though, it, 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 you know, certain teams that play that way, Argentina are very good at that, aren't they? You know what I mean? In terms of, like, using, you know, get to get position in terms of, you know, yeah. being a kicking team. There's a real massive skill to it, isn't there? A real skill to it. You know oh, it's massive now. Um, you see the two most successful teams in Europe, Southampton's, and then yeah. the world champions, obviously, Slavka, is based, you know, it's based around the kick and chase. Obviously, they've got big men and, you know, um, yeah, Southampton's yeah. obviously done things they shouldn't have on the... Uh, Salary from, but um, no, nah, it, it's a it's a huge part of the game. It's uh, if you can get the box kicking down and contesting, it's uh, you know it's an easy way to make ground and play in the right areas. And it's uh, you know, you watch Super Rugby is a bit different, but certainly if you look at Northern Hemisphere Rugby and Test Match Rugby. That's the way it's gone now, and uh, big giant, big kicking game. And uh, yeah, as you said, again, Danny Kerr is probably probably the best around around like little grubber kicks around um yeah yeah sacking kicks and that and uh, you know that's it's still a massive part of the game to sort of uh you know the score tries as well because you get an advantage is a chance to sort of um you get a free play then so it's uh, you know you can still use that in your armor. You you mentioned it about about Saracens and things that they've done and, and so on and breaking salary caps and this, that and the other. Um now in terms of obviously the current situation that they're in if we, if we look at sort of going forward now and coming out of the you know lockdown and bringing professional sport back, um, will, will rugby union be okay from a financial point of view? First of all, do you, do you think it's it's almost a reset button for rugby union as, as it's bound to be? It looks like for, for football, yeah, I think so. I, I like, I don't know, it's um, the financial thing, there's you know, um, like everyone's every premiership club's going to struggle. You know, Evans uh, taking a pay cut, I think, and uh, so I don't know. It's going to be like we've just re-elected um, a new, uh, the same chairman as the World Rugby. So I don't, you know, I don't know what he's going to do because they wanted to mix up it with a piece of the Argentinian scrum half, but he didn't quite get it. So chap was he would have changed things and bring bring everyone in, in more in line with a, a global season then. But I don't, oh, look, I don't. It's it's too early to tell how. You know, rugby doesn't. It's not like football where they make millions anyway. You know, the yeah. clubs don't. You know, don't stay with the red for a season. So, so this is just going to hit everyone in the, the worst possible way. Yeah, sponsorship's a big part, isn't it? And yeah, you know, sponsorship sponsorship's going to take a big hit as well because a lot of these companies are going to streamline, aren't they? Yeah. And you know, and there's only so many. You know, everyone, most of the clubs have got have got an owner, but you know, what? But they haven't got like um, certainly. You know, bottomless pocket. So it's a, mm-hmm. it's a, yeah, it's going to be it's a tough old time. And just, I think we just don't know I, what's going to happen. 
No, and that, that's that's the crazy thing. I think it's been a, a, a time for, for all sports, probably especially football. It's a very sobering time for football. Yeah. And that, that that's where, you know, when, when you, you talk about trying to get football back and, you know, getting football back by the middle of June and playing behind closed doors at neutral venues and, you know, there needs to be a realisation from, you know, there's more important things happening. You know, we, we'd love to have, have football back, of course we would, but the, the players are people and, you know, if it's not safe for them, Exactly, it should it shouldn't be going ahead, you know. And and rugby, you know, it's even more physical contact in a game of rugby than it is in a game of football, you know. And that that's that's the the thing. And you ju- you just hope that when we come through all this and we get back to to enjoying sport again, that it's it's safe for all to do so, and and yeah. all clubs and that can continue uh, to 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 carry on doing what they what they do best. Um, that's it's, it's the big thing, serious forward is like. If you take away the risk of catching the virus off anyone, and I don't mm. even think about that, which is obviously the biggest risk. Mm. The risk for us is is going back in as forwards, hand the scrum again, mm. where you've oh, deconditioned our bodies now for six or seven weeks, eight weeks, and hand the scrum again, hand the tackle again. So the chances of picking up knocks, you imagine a scrum, we've got like almost a thousand kilos, you know, pushing against each other right down your spine. With people behind you, pushing behind, so you can press on yourself as much as you can. You know the boys haven't trained that now, so whatever happens, you know there's going to have to be a, a pre-season block or whatever. They're like, well, not even well, not a pre-season block, but like a conditioning block to get these guys back to the level they need to be. With otherwise, there's going to be injuries. So yeah, yeah if you take it's, away- the same, it's the same. Yeah, same with foot. You're going to get muscle injuries and everything. Isaac, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it happens massively. I just wanted to touch on a couple of things, Adam, in terms of like, obviously, you've played against some top sides and some top players. Obviously, you know, from we're obviously mainly into football and sort of casual rugby fans, if you like. But what was it like playing against what we would say is probably the Brazil of rugby, which is New Zealand? I mean, I've, I've been fortunate to travel around the country for a few months. I absolutely loved it. Um, it's fortunate, actually, to meet a few of the players. I met like, like the likes of Dan Carter and people like the most laid-back people ever, and they're not even treated like celebrities over there either. They just sit in a pub and have a pint with everyone. I mean, yeah. incredible. I couldn't believe it. Um, but you played against New Zealand. That, were they that good? Were they just another level to everybody else? Yeah. Yeah. Um, not, not not so much. Um, they're never bigger, that much bigger than you. They've always got big boys. And they've got the Islanders, and um, yeah, but they just the skill level and the intensity. They do everything that's a lot better, a lot quicker. You know they're um, off the floor back in the game quicker. They, you know they they're handling. They brought this. They, they see they seem a different level skill wise, but it's mm-hmm. the intensity they play at in the first place. Then when you do do come to international rugby, you know Super Rugby's the intensity's you know there. Whereas you play in like the Rabo is a little bit lower. So yeah. so we've got to kind of whereas they go there to we still got a long way to catch up. <coughs> but no, they um yeah they they. Obviously, they brought up in it, but they are a different. Um, this they, they seem to be sort of four, five, six deep in every position. You know, yeah. they lose a Dan Carter. They can play. You know, you know. There's another guy who's bone Barrett's like an 18 year old coming off the bench for us. Uh, yeah. um, you know, they're so deep and but nah, they they were. I never. I think they were quite. We almost beat them in 2004. We lost them at yeah. point, and that's the closest I ever got in about ten games. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Well, it is, it is, it being, a, being an actual all-black is a way of life over there, isn't it? You know, I mean, yeah. it's like, it's, it's, it's the pinnacle of being a sportsman, isn't it, over there, being an all-black? Yeah, it's the biggest thing they got, yeah. They're, um, like, I work with uh, a guy called Nick Evans who played sort of, 16 tests for them. Outside yeah. He was actually and behind Dan Carter. And, uh, yeah, it's just, like, you, you grew up wanting to be an all-black, you know, everything's geared about being, to being an all-black, you know, and, um, and it's, I guess they've seen the change. I say, I reckon we're probably the closest country to them in that sort of mindset. But even mm. more, even, even that's changed now. Um, you know, growing up, it was always wanting to play for Wales in rugby. But now, mm. you know, kids want to be Bale, Aaron Ramsey, you know, these yeah, guys. Cool. It's not, you know, got Ben Davis and Spurs, Joe Allen, these sort of um, people. And, uh, and it's, you know, rugby grassroots is standard, is, isn't as strong as it used to be in Wales. You know the football's taken over. You know Swansea being there, Cardiff being there. They, they, I think they get all the young kids up. And you know, it's certain where when I grew up, we in the valley I live, where I was from Swansea Valley. You know, we you had uh, three youth teams, full youth teams within like you know a three mile radius. But now right. they've all had to 
the you know the values about the merge their teams together because there's not enough kids playing football, uh, playing rugby, whether it's football or you know other things. You know, um, you know, so much more to do now as well, I guess. You know, but um, where kids don't want to be uh, out playing rugby, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one now in Wales. Uh, you, you've got to battle with the Gareth Bales and Anne Ramsey in the world to, um, you know, still people still want to be Lee Penny, George North, and these guys, but yeah. If you can see if you're gonna end up uh, like Gareth Bale around Ramsey, I think it's uh, you want to be uh, you want to be that. It's interesting that that, that really is because you, you look at Bale. I mean, he you know he, he's well. He's, he, let's be honest, he's a superstar now, isn't he? I mean, he's at Real Madrid. Look what he's done. I mean, he, you know he couldn't get a game at one time at Spurs, and then look at him now. I mean, but I mean, when obviously I obviously incredibly proud when Wales. Cause I've always followed England as well as Wales. Weirdly, when England were in the World Cups, and I yeah. remember. Vaguely World Cup 90, Italia 90. And then when Wales got into the Euros, I remember just being all, you know, obviously a lot of my, my high school mates. And like, it was unbelievable, wasn't it? I mean, I, I take it you followed that quite closely, did you? Oh, well, I, I was the same as you. I remember, yeah, football in 1990, you know, obviously yeah. England, Gaza and, yeah, and these guys. And then even 96 as well. You know, yeah. that's, you know, it was, it was you know, you're following England. Yeah. I'd never follow England rugby in a million years. <laughs> yeah, I never, I never want them to win. But England football, I was, you know, when they lost to uh, Germany, it was devastating. You know, and it's, um, yeah, it was, yeah. The, the Euro, it was my first year in the Quins. Uh, right, it was, it was class, you know. And um, obviously England beat us, but uh, when we got to the semi final, I was watching it with a mate in uh, walking. I was, it was de- you know, devastated, crying my eyes out. You know, at the end of the game, it was. Uh, <laughs> we done so well. It was uh, the whole country was behind it, and it was. Um, you know, I'd imagine you know, the can't, you know, can't imagine they've, I wouldn't say it's the one that got away, but I think, um, you know, you've, you've done so well. It was just, you know, boys have become, um, you know, four heroes in the back of Wales off the back of it, you know. Uh, like Unbelievable. Then, look, switching back to rugby, though, you had, Wales had two semis in the World Cups. The one recently, obviously, which you weren't part of, but the one that you were part of, unfortunately, you had to come off injured, didn't you? Yeah. But, um, I mean, they're close games, both of those, weren't they? I mean, we gave South Africa a much better game than England did, didn't we, recently? Yeah, I think, um, oh, they are definitely, again, it was, I, I became a, quite bitter after I got dropped, and there was a couple of years where he wasn't really one who wears so well, but the last right. couple of years, I think, I think because Alan Wynn's captain, who's, you know, he's one of my best mates, so I was more emotionally attached to what he was doing, and, um, no, again, I was watching him and watching the semi-final, just crying my eyes out when he lost, I was, get it, get it, it was, mm. Because we we did so well, and you know, I think they, it, to be fair, in the final staff, were just they out England, England, so they couldn't, you know, England couldn't play the way they did against the All Blacks. But no, two semi finals, well, 2011, there was, well, was it? I think I was off after five minutes, so a first scrum, tore my calf, and that was the end of me. So it was a devastating. Then you see Sam Wall, but next time, um, just been sent off, so he stole my thunder a bit. But. <laughs> It must, it must be hard as well in that, that situation where you, you work all your career for those those moments as well and to be taken away after five minutes or so, it, it must be absolutely devastating at the time and, and also looking back as well. Oh, it was, yeah, it was horrendous. It was, um, it's, it was almost one of those ones. I was kind of with the lines in 2009. I went off injured in the second test because I dislocated my shoulder. So a big, giant South African guy came and slammed me and knocked my shoulder out. So... Um, <laughs> And then, yeah, nine, well, six minutes into the game, tore my calf. So it was what I, after that, I was a bit of shit. Is, am I ever going to, you know, am I ever going to get, you know, uh, stay in the field and, uh, you know, uh, win one of these things? So fortunately, I did in, you know, a couple of years later, a couple of years later. But no, it was just, it was so, you work so hard in World Cup, you kind of isolate yourself away from everything. You know, um, we end up, we spent like probably a month in Poland in a place called Spala where they had like, Cryogenic ice chambers for you know, the majority of the camp, so it was uh, you know it was tough. I just, I just had a bit, you know, just had my daughter as well, so it was kind of you kind of it was all that emotion. It was like um, it was you kind of uh, kind of had to get yourself away from it all, just uh, concentrate the rugby for a bit. And yeah, to go out like we did was uh, yeah, it was pretty tough one to take. Well, it's once every four years as well, isn't it? It's not like obviously yeah. the Six Nations where you can almost like you know make up for a bad year. Um, but I mean, look, Mike touched on it before. You won. I think you won of only a few 
Welsh players, am I right in saying that's won three Grand Slams of Wales? Is that right? Alan wins the other one as well around this era, isn't he? Yeah, so we have me, Al, Gethin Jenkins, Ryan Jones, and then you got, I think, Gareth Edwards, Gerald Davis, and JPR, I think. So it's incredible, that. Incredible, mate. Yeah, I think, I think, um, I think people, a few boys won it, like sort of early 1900s, that sort of thing. I think there was a, People had people who won the grand, three Grand Slams then, but I'm not sure of their names. But yeah, certainly the modern era, uh, seven, seven of us. Uh, that's that's not a bad achievement, no. No, it's <laughs> not. I don't know. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine, but Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I think it's a great, great point to finish on, you know, reliving the success that you've had in, in what was a, a great career. And uh, it's been a pleasure speaking to you today and you're taking some time out to, to obviously speak to me and Leon and uh, give us your thoughts on the Blues as well. We, we really appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It just, uh, yeah, I'd like, yeah, if you, if you can get me up to a game, that'd be fantastic. We, we, we will guarantee at some point before Goodison Park shuts down, we will, we will sort you a ticket for a game and we'll, we'll get that boxed off. Um, yeah, don't, 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 don't worry. That'd be even better. Me, me too. <laughs> Who's that? Yeah, you are. What do you say? Me too. If you can get me to meet Duncan Ferguson, even better. Though. Listen, we, we'll put a few calls into the club. Don't you worry about that. We, we'll pull a few strings. And, <laughs> and, and, if we don't, if, and if we can't do it officially, we'll do it unofficially and climb over the fence and get in. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> just quickly, Again, mate, just out of interest, was he your favourite player? Was he big, though? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. when he, I, I did. I, I used to like, I did like the era where Joe Royal was there. Yeah, they used to have like Barry Horn and Parkinson, and they used to just like yeah. dogs of war, kick people around, you know. And I, I like that Dave Watson, Dave. I used to love Dave Unsworth. Oh yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> love yeah. Dave Unsworth. Um, yeah, but I think Dunk was a bit of folk hero, and he and uh, you know, he was just. I always remember him like um, for some reason the Man United games always used to you know give Palestine quite a hard. Uh, yeah, he uh, did bit of a hard time. And, no, I used to love Dunk. Yeah, he's class. Let's be honest, he crossed over into playing rugby sometimes as well. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he had that reputation for coming from Rangers and uh, yeah, he kept he kept it on with Everton, to be fair. No, he's yeah, he definitely one of my favourite players. Yeah, yeah top, boy. top boy. Yeah, obviously, big dunk, big dunk still knocking around there today and, yeah, exactly. and someone that, that we all we all hold very close to our hearts, especially after the job he did, you know, in the interim yeah. between... Um, Losing Marco Silver and bringing in Carlo, uh, but he, he's yeah, pissing me at the. I love him. I just love the passion. He was uh, up and down the touch uh, line, the ball boys. That's brilliant. That's that, it. That's it's the pure passion of the man, isn't it? That's absolutely oh, brilliant. Yeah, exactly. It is. Well, we we'll as I say, we we'll sort that out. We, we'll get you down to again. Don't you worry about that. Um, well, let's listen. Thanks, thanks very much, Adam, for coming on again. Thanks, no, thanks everyone for. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the show today. Uh, really enjoyed it. We'll be back again in the next over the next couple of weeks with another lockdown special. Hopefully, things get a little bit easier. More, more importantly, most importantly, make sure everyone remains safe, stay safe, and we'll catch you soon. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues, three opinions. One Everton podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.